is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. It's another World Cup date, as it were. Dan, one of your hosts here. No Nick, no Brandon, but we would be remiss with all the action, all the activity, all the festivities, and unfortunately, a lot of the unsavory elements of the political background of all of this dive into some of the additional conversation going on around the world cup right now. And I'm going to do that with our wonderful friend, Sam, you know, I'm a CFC central. We did one of these episodes previously in the earlier rounds or just before the world cup kicked off to talk about players that Chelsea might want to be looking at and that Chelsea might want to scout. And so this is a follow-up to that episode in the first one. We talked about Fernandez. We talked about Gakpo. We talked about Liao. We talked about Minjai. There's so many more names, though, that you've added to this list, Sam, as as players that Chelsea should potentially look at. We did have some tenants. Don't overspend. Don't potentially use the World Cup too much as your litmus test. But boy, oh boy, there's been some wonderful appearances and performances that we want to dive into and so welcome back and are you ready to get in on it uh, thank you so much dan i mean uh, really really ready to go to be honest the only two matches i have missed during the world cup are the ones when i was traveling on my flight other than that i've just been glued to my screen um the matches are at a pretty convenient time here i'm at abu dhabi so basically just next door to Qatar. So has been a lovely experience for me, to be honest. There was there were a couple of matches where I was sitting next to Mexican fans returning from the World Cup. And one day I was sitting with uh, a couple of Portuguese ones. So it was lovely having conversation and figuring out what their thoughts have been about the World Cup. So lots to learn, a um, lot of perspectives to gain. And uh, hopefully I can add that to the pod today. Awesome. Well, yes, the, definitely the, the multicultural aspect and uh, some of the coming together has been Really nice. It's been good. We've had some of the matches on in some of the general meeting areas in our work offices here in Seattle. And it's been nice to see others checking in on the games, keeping a close eye on it. People were rooting for Messi the other day when I was watching. Uh, people were, some were rooting for Ronaldo, not everybody. But uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to get some perspective around the players that we had targeted and we had talked about previously. Let's just jump right in to Enzo Fernandez. We talked about him as a midfield solution for Chelsea. I feel like his price tag has absolutely skyrocketed over the last couple of matches. And so maybe we can just jump in and talk about what you're seeing with him. Are you seeing what you wanted to see? And what does that mean for Chelsea in terms of him as a target? And I think his trajectory in this World Cup has pretty much been exactly like what you would expect um, his career to have gone the same way. You know, he's he's been a little bit unfancied by the biggest sides. I mean, there were murmurs about big clubs looking at him when he was at River Plate. Benfica took a gamble and in about seven or eight months, you know, he's looking like the real deal. And Argentina went the same way. Considering he'd been putting in some very strong performances against the likes of, you know, Paris Saint-Germain and, and everybody else in the Champions League, uh, you would have expected him to start in central midfield. But Lionel Scaloni just decided to go with a formula that he believed he had figured out. And that led to sort of like a catastrophic first uh, loss against Saudi Arabia. And after that, it's just been easing him in. The first two games, I think he played about 30 minutes. 
and after that you know his he just got that second goal in in the second game and from there it's just been his his star has just risen exponentially so it's been great to watch i think he's he's been phenomenal and uh, not only has he been individually really good i think he's just come into this tournament and he's fixed a lot of gaps that i felt argentina were were sort of like exposing themselves to tactically like in the first game they they generally had nobody in the central spaces it looked like they were all over the place they couldn't have um central build up and and saudi arabia was sort of stifling them there so uh, you know after that just watching him come in allowing him to push messi into into further zones i think the best performances messi has had in this world cup have been when enzo fernandez has been in the side when he's allowed two other midfielders to push up mcallister and and rodrigo de paul both have looked really really good when when enzo's been playing so i think in general he's been he's been the perfect enforcer he's just allowed other players to do the bit and i think that's what you would want from from someone of his profile and uh, he's done supremely well exactly what you would want if you're a fan of the argentina side or hoping to see messi lift a world cup here this tournament i think one of the things that maybe you started to see at least on maybe the the, the forums or, or reddit or twitter where people are talking about fernandez now as a target is i think seemingly is the way that he has looked to lock down or kind of distribute within this world cup and so i think you know as you mentioned not only can he get forward he can play deeper back and so i think as you're looking at is this a player that chelsea would want to go after i think you're seeing all the things that are missing from maybe the complement of current midfielders and maybe he he mushes together multiple components of what the side is missing, where we know that Angolo Conte can get that run forward. We know uh, others in our side like Kovacic can, can carry the ball. It, it feels to me like he just is maybe more well-rounded, even though he's a little younger, maybe a little more green in terms of his European accolades at the moment. But it feels like the you're getting more for the value because he can do a little bit more and it's less like one dimensional. Would you agree with that? Or am I totally off base? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Dan, to be honest. Um, there were a couple of questions, a couple of doubts regarding him that we discussed in the last pod. And uh, it was interesting to see how he would fare in in a high intensity game, in, in a game that had high stakes. Somewhere where, I mean, obviously when you're playing at a Benfica, you're you're playing the underdog. So not quite the amount of pressure that you would expect playing for Argentina in the World Cup. Uh, and it's also been very interesting for me personally because I expected McAllister to be the deepest lying midfielder in a midfield three, but Scaloni has actually put McAllister as an eight next to, to DePaul and Enzo has been playing as the number six. So it's been very interesting to see how he would adapt to that role. And in the third game against Poland, he won 100% of his duels. He was picking up loose balls. He was making sure that the midfield was locked down. So very interesting to see that he can play as as that deepest defensive-minded role. Very disciplined. And that's what you would want to see from a young player. You know, showing that he can adapt his game according to the role that he's playing, that he knows his duties. And it was very interesting to see. Because at Benfica, when I was watching um, a couple of games, he was taking corners. So some defensive numbers that you would expect from a defensive midfielder. 
particularly recoveries in the attacking third, he ranked pretty low compared to, say, someone like a Rodri or someone like a Declan Rice. And and it was a little befuddling to me saying, okay, why, has, why are his recoveries so low? And then you realize, oh, he's taking a lot of set pieces. So obviously, numbers are not going to match up. But he's also shown now when other people are taking set pieces, somebody like a Di Maria, you know, he's happy to, to be there tenaciously, win balls back, and just simple passes and redistribute and, and do what you have to. He's not being as expansive as he as he is in Benfica. He's just keeping it plain and simple and has a goal and probably an assist to show for it. So I think he's been really, really good. And like you said, his price tag has is well and truly exploded now. Well, maybe another player who is continuing to see their price tag rise over the World Cup and uh, one, un- unfortunately, that uh, many Americans got a little familiar with, though not because he scored against us as we were bounced out by the Netherlands, was Cody Yakpo, who, before we started this series of episodes, we talked about how he is a little bit of a prolific scorer, and he's shown that so far in the group stage in how he performed. But what are you seeing in terms of him? I know that we've also been linked to Nkuku and that seemingly is getting closer and closer to being done. He obviously offers a little bit of a different profile in terms of a player, but how, how much have you enjoyed watching Gakpo play and where do you see him as a target now? Um, that's a tough question, to be honest. I wouldn't say I've enjoyed him as much as I've watched, you know, enjoyed watching him play for for PSV and and the kind of figures that he's put up there. He's obviously a joy to watch compared to how he's being used for the Dutch team. Um, I think that's a lot to do with the left hand side sort of belonging to Memphis Depay. Obviously, he's an influential player in terms of the standing in the team, but also as somebody who's excellent at holding up and, and you know, just collecting the ball between lines and and getting other people into play. So Gakpo really has been used as somebody on the right-hand side, a position that he arguably isn't very familiar with. So I think that's affected a lot of his, you know, his, um, I would say his, his um, key deliverables that you would want as as an attacking player when you look at his numbers for PSV he's the he's the outlet you know you give the ball to him and you expect him to to use his 6 feet 2 frame to create separation to get shots away i think he was having about three and a half four shots in the Eredivisie he's having one a game for the dutch um and he scored three goals in in four games so that just tells you that he's been clinical in terms of his shooting i think it's pretty much what you would expect from from somebody who's who's in a purple patch. Um, I think his expected goals this tournament is 0.31 and he scored three goals out of that. So it just tells you that he's taken some very, very good chances, sort of like um, low value chances and he, he's converted them, but doesn't really talk about like how well he was in terms of taking lots of shots and creating lots of chances. Again, in PSV, 4.3 key passes per game, I think where the numbers he was pulling out and, and he's nowhere to go um, in this tournament. I think he created four in the last game, but not really as as uh, comprehensive a performance as you would want him uh, to sort of deliver on the big stage. But I don't think that's down to him. I think it's also down to him trying to fit into a system and then trying to deliver the best that he can from, from a role that doesn't really suit him. I don't think the angles suit him. I don't think his left foot is... Is as strong as his right. He's he's got a good shot, but 
uh, when he shoots with his right, he can obviously see that the accuracy, the kind of placement he has is is sort of like a notch above his weaker foot. So, um, has to be more involved. I think the last match he did pretty well, but the first game he he completed seven passes. The second game against Ecuador, he he completed eleven passes. So, not really popping up as as much as you would want, you know, a, a forward to to sort of like deliver. I, and I think uh, that sort of let his influence wane a little bit. So I, I still think we haven't seen the best of him. And I don't think we'll see the best of him because Depay is going to occupy that that left side role. So unless the Dutch end up playing something like a 4-4-2 where he can play as the left-hand side midfielder, maybe then you can figure out, you know, how to fit him in his preferred position. But right now on the right-hand side, I think he's being efficient, but we're probably not seeing the best of him. That sounds like a fair assessment. And so maybe as you're thinking about the upcoming run of games where we're going to get to see Fernandez and Gakpo play against each other, would you care to put forward a guess on who ends up being the more instrumental and who has the better performance amongst the two, considering what to see them (laughs) on the same pitch for the first time? Oh, wow. You're putting me on the spot tonight, aren't you? Dan, I mean, good questions to be honest, but um, I would I would definitely say I think Enzo has the upper hand. I think he's he's definitely coming into his groove in the last couple of games. He's now got the confidence to to put a stamp on games. I think he's he's definitely showing that you know he's not deterred by playing next to the big names. He's he's he looks right at home in this Argentina side. So I think he's got his position right. I think he's got his understanding of what he needs to do in the system, right? Gakpo, again, has been good and he's popped up with the right moments, I would say. He's more of a moments player, but Enzo's influences um, sort of like on a, on a larger scale and, and is for a sustained period of time. So I would say, I think decisively, I would expect uh, Enzo Fernandez to to sort of shine in the game, but wouldn't put it against Gakpo to to ghost all game and end up with an 88-minute equalizer or a winner. Well, there you have it. Fernandez and Argentina to advance. Maybe. We think so. Possibly. I don't know. But we're going to take a very quick break off of that and then jump into two of the other names that you had called out here for our little assessment, and then a few additions that you've added through the group stages here. But thank you. We want to say thank you to the sponsors financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. If you're bored of the U.S. Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with over 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. All right. 
right, Sam, another name that has been on the minds of the Chelsea faithful for a little bit is Rafael Liao. And so he's had a chance to more so come off the bench as a substitute to add a little bit of extra energy onto the pitch when he comes on kind of the super sub role. So maybe there hasn't been as much in his game to assess, but so maybe it's the, I think the way that I've been thinking about it is like, how does Portugal end up playing when he comes onto the pitch and how do they look if he is off the pitch and and maybe that's the way to frame it. I don't know what you've had a chance to see though, over the round of games that he has been involved in, in those limited minutes. Uh, well, to be honest, Dan, I think uh, he is sort of a victim of Portugal's system. Also Cristiano Ronaldo being sort of shoehorned as, you know, the, the invaluable leader or the captain and then the, you know, the talisman who has to be there in the side. I do not think his performances have merited, you know, any sort of inclusion. I'm, I'm talking about Ronaldo. I don't think he's, I think he's had a very, very bad, disappointing tournament. But I mean, who's going to bench him? So, um, I mean, he can't run the wings anymore. I mean, I think people people are sort of very well aware of that. And all you can sort of hope from him now is put him in and around the penalty box and hope that he gets at the end of chances. And that's what Portugal have tried to do in the first game. Um, you could see that, you know, they were trying to get Ronaldo as as the focal point. And I think in two games, they've used a 4-3-3. So it's all about trying to get the right balls to him. On the left-hand side, you've seen Joao Felix start once. Um, and, and he's very good in terms of somebody who can drop, who can link up play, who's very influential, also tries to get others into play. Uh, and then you've also got Joao Mario, who I would say is... Also, similar kind of player who offers a direct threat can also drop link up play. Leao is a little different in the sense that he tries when when you give him the ball and expect him to do his thing. So he's sort of suffered because he isn't the kind of player who would sort of play these little interchanges and then try to to cleave defenses open for other players. He might do it for himself, but might not do it sufficiently enough for Ronaldo. So. Um, Interesting to see the two formations that Portugal have used. They've used a 4-3-3 and, and they've used a 4-3-1-2. So, Bruno Fernandes in that number 10 position where he's done really well. I think Bruno has been arguably one of the players of the tournament in his two matches. Sure. And in the 4-3-3, on the right-hand side, he got two assists from there. So, um, I think it's it's just he's he's been a little unlucky. He's also got about 20-30 minutes to make an impact. So, like you said probably not fair to judge him based on the little game time he's had. I mean, in, in the first game, he he got the decisive goal and you expected him to sort of get a starting place, probably play the full 90 minutes and, and make sort of an impression, but didn't quite get the chance. So I would say it's a, it's a little bit of an iffy situation. But uh, There was a report, I think, in The Guardian saying that Fernando Santos wasn't happy with Ronaldo's behavior um, after the game against South Korea. So... There might be a chance that he might be stripped of the captaincy. If he's benched, then I think this is a game that that you might see Rafael Leo come in if he doesn't go with a choice like Gonzalo Ramos at striker or Joao Mario or, or Joao Felix at left. So I think it's it's an interesting conundrum to have. But when I see his performances and when I see what I've seen at club level, um, I can understand. And there was this moment against South Korea where... 
he was carrying the ball and a south korean player basically nicked the ball off him and he he fell on the floor and south korea basically had a, a counter attacking chance and he just did not track back he he was jogging back and it's something that you and i have discussed in previous pods is tracking you know it's just his his level of commitment when it comes to doing the dirty work is is nearly non existent it's he doesn't have you know what what mourinho used to say you know you need to die for your full back it's something that he publicly um sort of derided eden hazard with saying that he's not somebody who would who would die for his full back and and leao is not the kind of player who you'd see tracking back 60 yards to make a tackle so i think he's also suffered because of that you know in these big games when the when the structure matters when across the 90 minutes you need to be definitely doing both phases of the game really really well it plays against him so probably that's what santos is thinking about saying that he's better off as an impact substitute rather than playing the full 90 minutes and probably leaving one of the full backs you know vulnerable to a counter attack or a transition so interesting to see what portugal will do but i don't think he will start the next game seems unlikely considering the next match that they have is their round of 16 match against switzerland for a punch through into the next round of the tournament and as it stands if they were to advance they would go ahead and play end up playing the winner of Morocco or Spain so interesting to see who they'll come up against i would say even in the next round if they do advance unless there was a serious injury we probably only see leao as a substitute again for a little bit of a change of pace change of look for the latter part of the game but to the points you made little less film than maybe some would have liked this world cup to potentially try and evaluate leao as a player for chelsea Uh, one player who maybe is not going to enjoy too many of the highlights for him and his team after a, a very unfortunate result against Brazil in the round of 16 uh, Kim Min Jae who uh Sam I don't know how to say it very gracefully but uh, are leaving the World Cup with a little bit of an unfortunate end to uh, what otherwise was a really strong performance from the team to make it out of the group stages Yeah I think they've been I maybe it's just the physical toll that it's taken we've seen a lot of sides come up with you know a massive underdog performance and a win and after that they just just faded away you know we've seen that with Saudi Arabia had that been against Argentina and then you know from that euphoric win they just got knocked out without without a second fuss so um it also happened i think with South Korea i think the exertions that they put in against Portugal to get that second goal it is an emotional roller coaster it's it's pretty incredible to go through in in the space of a couple of days and then have to prepare again a big match and and get your mentality back on track so i think those psychological factors the physical factors must definitely have played some kind of a part there but uh definitely unlucky but definitely uh, probably would be very very disappointed with their performance i mean you and i watched the first half and oh it was it was self destructive it was cataclysmic whichever adjective you want to use but i think he he started off well then i think he he did very well against uruguay he commanded the defense well and when you have a strike force of enedison cavani you have luis suarez you have david nunez 
obviously you would want to be at, at the top of your game to stop three very different threats. But uh, I think he did really well. He he got a 0-0 a goalless draw. That's probably the best result as a defender that you could ask for. So he did really well. The second game I couldn't watch because that was the one that I was at the airport and I was flying out. So I'm sorry, but I couldn't offer any perspective on that. But he got benched for the third game, I think, against Portugal. So, um, But this game against Brazil, he just... Yeah, he, I mean, the rest of the team looked dysfunctional. And, and when that happens, you, you wouldn't really expect your defense to fare any better. So, a lot of errors, a lot of, lot of positional chaos um, for, the, for, for the Richarlison goal. Like he lost both the assist giver as well as the goal scorer. So, he, he got nowhere. And the second goal is, is sort of something that stems from his playing style. I think he's, he's a lot like Van Dyke. You know, he, he observes and he's more of a, a reactive defender rather than a proactive defender. So, more often he'll jockey, he'll... he'll wait for you to make a mistake. And he just stood in front of Vinicius, allowed him to chip the ball to Paqueta and and the goal happened. So probably like small factors that that happen in this World Cup have sort of come back to bite him. But I still think he remains an elite defender. But looks like it might not be the one that we might be going for. Might be going for another CB name, which I think we will discuss momentarily in, in the second half. Well, let's get to him first and foremost because i think he had a very strong tournament so far but yasko uh Garvadial, who had a good time of it and uh thanks to a little bit of penalty shootout magic they are finding themselves into the next round likely to face brazil which should be a very tasty matchup for all those who are interested and yeah I don't know. I think he has been extremely impressive. I think that he has looked like a absolute rock and I can foresee a very expensive price tag coming with whoever ends up signing him in the near future, because I doubt he is going to stay uh, on his current team much, much longer. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, He's had an exceptionally good tournament. I think he's been one of the best center backs. Um, in this edition, he's been very reliable. He's also been playing in a back four. So I think one of the complaints that a lot of people had saying that he's been pretty comfortable in the back three. So how does he perform when he's away from that progressive left center back role? And he has, you know, the actual responsibility where he has to put in a shift and and be more wary of, of when he wants to step up and and try to rush up into the middle third. So I think he's done that very well for Croatia. He's He's been absolutely spectacular like no doubts about it but as someone who's who's watched him uh consistently for his club when i was scouting in kunku i mean sort of had uh the luxury of also doing him side by side but far too many errors in his game dan i mean it looks like uh, he is somebody who's quite rash somebody who makes decisions um that you wouldn't want from from a seasoned from uh, from a seasoned veteran defender from somebody with a level head uh, tends to be very very aggressive and and tends to regret it more often than not. So he has that mistake in him, and I think it's like we talked about the World Cup being um, a tournament sort of which gives you this cardinal sin of of going over a skewed picture from a small sample size of games. And I think I'm still a little torn on Guardiola. I think. 
he's still a little raw i still think he has to refine his decision making i still think he has he has a couple of major errors inside him which might pop up more often than not in the premier league so again like is it worth paying that amount of money for him i'm still sitting on the fence i would rather give that chance to to levi colwell but uh, he's he's definitely not doing his his prospects any harm i think he's been spectacular left sided center back left footed center backs very difficult to to find in the market and uh, yeah i think if if we don't go after him someone else will and if they can mold him over the years he's only 20 years old if over the next 2 3 years he can erase some of those mistakes if he can still keep his aggression if he can still keep his his um tenacity and his ability to to step up and and play on the front foot and cut out those mistakes i think we'll see a world class defender in the next 3 4 years so the question would be is do chelsea want to bet on adding another world class defender they already have you would hope Fofana is on that trajectory as well. You have Thiago Silva, who is ageless currently, but you never know when the the drop off might be, and if we can have him stay with Chelsea another season or potentially become a rotational figure in the defense. You're looking likely to have individuals like Aspliqueta probably leave next year. Would be my guess at this point. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see alongside uh, Trevor Chalaba, potentially Levi Colwell coming back into the side, what that looks like. But it does feel like Chelsea will need another center back. And this could be a club that Chelsea knows how to do business with and might be someone that they want to target. Additionally, you have a couple other names here. There was one I saw that felt a little like a blast of the past because we were linked to him for a bit. And then... Uh, a little bit of a Paris Saint-Germain gazump on Chelsea for Hakimi was one that you wanted to bring in here and talk about. So let's have it. Let's give the case for Hakimi based on what you've seen. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people had problems in the past saying that, you know, you're buying Hakimi for an inflated price to try and and take over Reece James because you obviously had a very good record at Inter Milan and and you've done very well at Dortmund. But I think now it's come to a point where you're not really looking for a backup for Reece James. You're you're looking effectively for a competitor and somebody who can rotate without offering a drop off in quality. I think any other name we go for has to be able to offer the same level of output, the same level of performance, either at a right back or a right wing back. I think that's supremely important as well. So when you've got a fully fit Chilwell and a fully fit Kukureya on the left hand side, I think. that's a very good headache to have for the manager the same way you would have one with say a fully fit Kyle Walker and a fully fit Joao Cancelo on the right hand side even though Cancelo is played on the left but that's the kind of headache you would want to give and i think when i'm looking at now which has become a crucial position i think based on his his current availability based on his quality i think he's he's an interesting name to go for he's been absolutely phenomenal in this world cup i think one of the reasons that morocco have have absolutely blasted past all expectations and reached where they have he's been he's been absolutely instrumental to that he offers everything that you would need from from your modern archetypal sort of wing back he has incredible speed i think he's one of the quickest players around his sprint speed his pace um you put up a player like vinicius or uh, a leao against him i think pace for pace he's able to compete against those kind of attackers so i think he's he's definitely got that working for him 
also in an attacking sense it's he's one of the rare fullbacks or, or wingbacks who's who's very adept at attacking space i think he understands that when he worked with antonio conte there was always this sense of don't just work with the ball you need to attack space so that you receive when we are we're going through a transition or we're trying to hit you on the counter so i think he understands that very well and uh, i think he would be an interesting addition i think uh, the other names that i was looking at was pedro poro um who is at sporting but manchester city have a buyback on him malagusto is also there at olympic lyon but he's more of a full back i really don't know whether he can create the kind of threat that reece james does and i think he's 19 or 20 so there's again a question mark about are we going to buy a young promising player or are we buying somebody who's coming in with you know 100% undoubted quality ready to perform at that level so compared to those two guys i think hakimi is an interesting alternative to have and we've seen you know the circus that that psg is there are there are a lot of reports coming out about players being unsettled under pochettino there was this report saying that uh psg dressing room is basically divided into the francophone uh speakers as well as sort of like the south american guys and and the south americans basically refused to talk to hakimi so he doesn't want to be there it's it's a pretty split dressing room it's not a not a nice place to be in so if you can exploit that if if psg are willing to to part with him i think it could be an interesting decision to make and i'm not just going on his world cup performances i think he's had a a wobble here and there at psg but in terms of his qualities in terms of giving him a more settled dressing room in terms of allowing him the right kind of game time to come and thrive i think he would be an interesting addition to have i like it in the concept that when you think about the amount of time bruce has missed that your drop off in quality is going to be much less so you've raised the floor significantly and we know how important the wingbacks are to creating opportunities for Chelsea in terms of attack and then adding uh goals plus assists in the spaces that they are able to create for themselves and Hakimi certainly would make it so if Reese is out injured uh for any type of period of time we really haven't seen him play a full season in last one or one or two years and so uh it would be nice to have the ability to rotate uh that position uh in the same way that we're hoping once Chilwell's back you could have you know a Chilwell uh and Kukurea rotate and you know there's less of a drop off uh that you're you're hoping for in that capacity as well so i definitely see the vision about what you're talking about i think that there's a, a likelihood that some other people are going to agree with you that this would be a, a really great thing for for Chelsea to to have in that scenario <laughs> Fire the alarms. It's an ad break time. Editor Jake is here to break away for a moment to thank our sponsors, ask for a little bit of graciousness from your time to, uh, yeah, show them some love. They're the reason we get to do this show. So thank you so much to our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Another name that you put in here that I was not expecting, a fellow countryman of mine, Tyler Adams, has had an opportunity to show off a little bit now in the uh in the Premier League and uh you know that like but he also I think had a really really strong uh World Cup for himself and so you wanted to put a little bit of information out here and uh get people potentially excited uh like I I can't I can't do it first I have to let you talk 
about him, and then I can jump in with some more plaudits. I think this should be a question I should be asking you, Dan, and then asking you to give your opinion because I'm pretty sure you're more well-informed on him in terms of, you know, watching him close quarters and also doing, like, sort of being privy to what he's doing off the pitch because I think that's that's supremely important, the role that he's being thrust into, you know, being the captain of the United States team and and having to take on that additional responsibility at his age. I think it's been it's been very, very interesting. So I would love to hear your thoughts. Maybe you can do this nice switcheroo. You know, you can go first and I can I can I can uh, switch around and and add to it. Well I would say from a leadership quality standpoint, I wish when I was his age that I was as well put together and composed if I was getting questions about you know what it's like to play for for you know your your country with a, a history of of racism and hey you didn't pronounce the name of our country correctly and look he is just class in the way that he's handled it and the way that he's worded it and the way that he is shouldering this responsibility at you know effectively a young age relative to to some of us uh, who are recording this uh, this podcast it definitely feels like he you know, is really uh, putting himself in a position to, you know, 23 years old to be the leader of this side heading into the next World Cup, you know, in North America and and, and and the majority of the match is likely in the United States heading into that 2026 is going to be really, really interesting. Look, he's, he's right. He was effective. I think he adds uh, a level of composure within in the side when he is involved in that midfield. He is the individual that makes it tick. I think that when we saw him go up against Rice and Bellingham, I mean, I think we played a little above our level. I think we saw England play a little below their level, but to see him anchor that performance was a really impressive thing. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited for him. I think whether it is at Chelsea or whether it's someplace else, it, it's going to be great to watch him. And uh, look, I, I would much rather root for him in Chelsea blue than I would in uh, the, the, the white of Leeds because I, I don't really root for Leeds, but I do root for him to have a successful career because boy, oh boy, he has been, very enjoyable to watch and his rise, you know, I think, you know, he was at Leipzig for a couple of years and makes the move to the Premier League under, under Marsh. And it's exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for him. And uh, it's been nice to see the world pay attention to him as like this. Oh man, this, this kid really has some credentials to him that he's starting to put together a resume that not just the, you know, clubs who are in the Premier League, but maybe clubs that are challenging for, uh, you know, European silverware on a regular basis are looking to potentially add him as a player for the now and near future. You're trying to steal my job, aren't you, Dan? I think that was like, <laughs> I think I think that was like supremely well done. To be honest, you've covered you covered every base that I wanted to go through. You know, the the performance against England. Um, it looked really, really good. In, and and they were the youngest side, you know. So it also adds a different dimension to it in terms of galvanizing that level of performance from, from everybody else. I think speaks volumes about how he is as a player and as an influence in the dressing room. I think that's that's a very nice factor to, to incorporate when we're assessing him away from his playing ability. So I think that's that's really well done. 
Um, I also like the fact that you know he's got the experience of of also playing in a in a midfield two, in a midfield three. He's been the deepest of the midfielders, and I don't think I saw him get dribbled past very often. You know, he he looked like he was very good at gatekeeping threats, and um, looked very very comfortable in terms of physical sense. I think when you when you look at certain midfielders come up against the likes of Jude Bellingham, the likes of Declan Rice, they tend to start off well and then you know run out of steam. But I think he coped very well in a physical sense. He looks like he's got the engine. He looks like he he works supremely hard. So uh, I would be very happy with somebody like him. I think Leeds are in trouble. I don't think they're going to finish in the kind of position that they envisioned they would they would be happy with. So I think there might be a chance to to snap him up from there. I think it would be an interesting option to have, especially considering the kind of clubs that are now coming in for Declan Rice, coming in for Jude Bellingham, coming in for Enzo Fernandez. So you don't know who's going to go where. And in all that scuffle, if you can find a quality replacement like him, who still has, I think, the best years of his life ahead of him, who I think is very good at dealing with something that we've been weak at, you know, dealing with transitions. I like midfielders who've played in the Bundesliga for that reason. I think they're, in terms of defensive midfield, in terms of centre-backs, you have to be very proficient at stopping counters, at, at sort of reading the game and making sure that you nip a threat in the bud before it develops and snowballs into something else. And I think he's he's done that at Leipzig as well. So, added bonus. I think he's he's definitely one to watch out for. His performances in the World Cup have, have definitely been spectacular. But uh, hopefully it's not a Rafinha saga and this is one that we can get over the line if it comes to that. Oh, we will see. You know, I, I think there has been some challenges for... Chelsea supporters potentially feeling like Christian hasn't gotten a fair shake. And uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk about just a few of the performances of note that you wanted to call out. I, I don't imagine there would be less calling for Tyler Adams to get a start if he were to be at Chelsea. And I just think that that is just the nature of the way fandom works nowadays is that you have fandom uh, of people who come to a team to root for it and it's a player that's brought them there. And I think we saw a massive amount of that with Christian Plissick. If Tyler Adams were to come, we would see a lot of that. If any one of these other players come, you would imagine that their uh, country people there uh, uh, would want to see them play and excel at Chelsea and not have their career hindered and stalled. And it's tough to come to terms with that, that balances, particularly if you uh, come to love Chelsea in the way that you, you hope they would. And I think it's about having a patience and hoping people understand and grow within the love for Chelsea. So that if a player like Christian Pulisic ends up leaving Chelsea, that you stay because you enjoy what it means to be a Chelsea supporter. And then you can continue to root for the players who come and go because they don't always, they don't aren't always all successful but you hope that the club you've chosen to support is. And that's going to be the nature, I think, of any player nationality that comes to the side from this point forward because of the way uh, the the national identity is associated and affiliated to. So that that's kind of the, the piece I would add on it there. But Sam, any other quick notes you want to add before we get out of here just on some of the other player performances where you think a few of the existing Chelsea players have excelled that you want to call out? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, Dan. I think more than trying to commit, you know, overspending and then making sure that you're getting the most promising players at this point in time, maybe in January, 
there have been a, there have been murmurs about us getting you know the right kind of midfielders, young midfielders in January, and and for me it's it's all about trying to take your time. You've just got your recruitment team you know sorted, so so why hurry? You know it's going to be whatever commitment you make now is going to be there for the next four or five years. So so take the six months and and get your heads together and find. Uh, the best kind of deals that you can for the best kind of players that you've scouted in the market. In the meantime, I would say use this World Cup to see how the less fancied players at Chelsea, the Pulisics, the Ziyeshs, you know, how how they've performed for the national teams. I think Ziyech has been absolutely amazing. And he's, I know I've supported him consistently and, and I've got a lot of flack for it because when he plays for us, he always looks like he's desperate to impress. You know, he's he's just trying to make an impression and and sometimes I do feel for him because sometimes Tuchel would just give him 10-15 minutes and, and what is he supposed to do to try and get a start in the next game so it was a it was a vicious cycle for him and now that he's playing for his country and you know he's got 90 minutes he he knows he's got those minutes to to make an impression to showcase his entire skill set I think he does very well you know he's he's somebody who needs the faith somebody who needs the confidence of his manager, of those around him. And I think that's what helps him thrive and be the player that he is, you know. So we're looking for a chance creator in the market, an elite chance creator in the market. And and we've got somebody who's created 100 plus chances in the LADVZ season. So are we missing out on somebody in our system because we haven't used them correctly? If, if we haven't given them the time that they need. Pulisic, for example, my initial concerns with, with him were you know, he's lost a half a yard of pace. So what is he going to do? Is, you know, a lot of wingers after 25, 26, they lose that that acceleration, that burst of venom that they have when they arrive at the game. And, and they always try to improvise. You look at Raheem Sterling. He's, he's not the electric winger that he used to be. He's not always looking to take players on. He's adapted. He's, he's made his movement better. He's made his controlling better. He's made his finishing better. So how would I see Pulisic evolve? And, and when I look at him now, I'm like, his pace is returning. He's, he looks a little faster than he did a couple of like weeks, months ago. So is it time to sort of erase the board and say, all right, give him a fresh start. He looks quicker. He looks like he's eager to impress. Give him the kind of time other players have got at Chelsea and see what he can do. So maybe use this World Cup to see what systems help them. Um, what kind of game time helped them, what roles helped them in the team, and then maybe go back and, and figure out how you can apply that to your existing team until next summer. I think that's going to be my takeaway from the World Cup. All right, well, plenty left to enjoy this World Cup and more scouting to be done. So we'll be back with a, another one of these episodes probably sooner than you think. So we're going to be happy to get there. But Sam, appreciate you always coming on, dropping tons of knowledge for the listeners, for our audience to get them informed and hopefully get them excited about some of the players that Chelsea may or may not go after. And at least if we don't go after them, yeah, imagine someone else in the Premier League does. So we've done some opposition scouting super far in advance if it doesn't come to be. So thank you very much for giving us uh, your time today. I'm really, really happy to do so, Dan. Always a pleasure to spend my evening with you. So uh, hopefully the next time we speak, I will be able to bring you something from Abu Dhabi. Um, the Chelsea team is like 11 kilometers away from me. So I am trying to figure out if I can do an interview, frantically trying to do you know, reaching out to the club and saying, hey, I've got a blog. Can I kind of like have an interview with anybody? <laughs> but I don't think they sort of like hand those out like freebies. But 
uh, if it happens, I mean, I know where they're staying. I don't want to be a creep, but I'm trying to make sure that I get some kind of good content, maybe a conversation or two. Um, I've had loads of them here where I'm staying. Luckily, there are a couple of international footballers who I've been able to talk to here. And it's been an eye-opening experience. So if I can do that with Chelsea, hopefully the next pod will be you know, an incredible episode to listen to. So fingers crossed and I hope I can bring something amazing next time. All right. Well, fingers crossed as it is. But until next time, until, I don't know, maybe Sam has some run-in with uh, player, staff, personnel, or the like, we will catch you on all the other episodes that we got coming at your way. Blue Royalty, Famous CFC, and more. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.